researching for your tribe. You know, the kind of women that really get you. We'll look no further. Join Kay and Dev every Friday for meaningful talks about everything woman. Get ready for laughs, love, and a few F-bombs. Welcome to Tribe. Welcome back to another week of Tribe. I'm your host, Kay, and co-host, Lindsay. Uh, Devin is out this week, so we are missing her, but we're super excited that we're going to be talking about triggers. So I'm going to let Lindsay take the lead on this one and start you guys off. Beautiful. So finding out what my triggers were in my healing journey, I feel was life-changing. And... I just want to, okay, so to me, a trigger is like an, oh, it's like when something happens to us and think of like an over the top reaction to something that's happening in the present. So something's happening in the present and we have this very big reaction or emotion that comes up that typically the situation that's happening in the present is minor compared to, it's like a deep, deeper rooted issue mm-hmm. that's going on. So I'll just give an example about my life and when I experienced my trigger and like the connection that I now see. So in my childhood, I experienced a traumatic incident when I was cleaning. So I was with one of my caregivers. The other one was out working. I was helping clean up before my other caregiver came home. And I had something traumatic happen to me that essentially imprinted in me, right? That then created a core belief by what this person had said and did at the time, I took that from a child into adulthood with me, okay? So that imprinted me, that grew up with me, that shaped who I was. So now I'm an adult and I'm cleaning and a friend says to me, hey, what's the cleaner you're using? It's really strong, this happened to me at one time. And my body just went into complete shutdown. I was cleaning and someone had asked about the cleaner I was using and therefore the cleaning because I was cleaning, I don't like anybody watching me. So when anyone's watching me cleaning, I feel my body go into this like very nervous situation. Like I'm very on edge, I'm very irritable. Someone says something to me, I snap. Um, those are kind of ways that I have noticed that when I'm triggered, I tend to swear a lot too. If I'm triggered, I'll be like swearing more than usual. So I felt myself like something, I got really upset that someone asked me what cleaner I was using and said it was strong and made me feel like I was not, like I was cleaning I was using too strong of a cleaner and there I felt like I wasn't good enough. So do you see how like I made that connection mm-hmm. based on this experience that happened through childhood. But at the time that this happened, I had no idea what was happening. Like I snapped at this friend and ran into my room and just got super upset and like, just didn't want to talk to anybody and had no idea what was going on. And this is when I'm an adult at this point, like this was only like maybe five years ago. So I had this like childish response don't understand what's happening or what's going on, why I feel this way. My friend is there confused as well. Like they didn't mean anything by asking that question, right? So yeah. I'm acting out of my trigger. So that situation shouldn't have been the reaction that I got. So that's the situation of understanding, okay, this is a past experience that happened to me that imprinted on me. And now when I'm in this situation that reminds me of that traumatic incident, I'm acting out in these over-the-top ways. Yeah, and I feel feel like sometimes our triggers don't happen for so long that we're so lost because we don't even know, like, where is this coming from? What is this? Yeah, so a lot of the times, like, I had no idea that was even a trigger. 
And when I went and started working in therapy and going over all these incidences that stuck in my brain, and that was one of them coming up about that incident as a child and having the cleaning and being told all these things and having that experience it was like it just connected the dots for me i was like oh my goodness that's why i feel the way i feel when i'm cleaning and people i feel are watching or anyone says anything to me when i'm cleaning it just is like instant shutdown Mm -hmm. so once i knew that it's like okay i can work on that when these incidences arise now instead of acting out on the reaction i take a minute i feel what's happening in my body and i take a minute i say okay wait now is this based on a past experience or a present experience Mm -hmm. like should this really be making me feel this way let's take a deep breath breathing is the first thing that you want to do when you're experiencing a trigger because when we experience our trigger our nervous system becomes dysregulated so when we want to regulate our nervous system and we can do that by deep belly breathing a lot of time we're shallow breathing we're not deep breathing so it takes there's studies that show it takes six deep belly breaths to regulate your nervous system so that's the first step we want to do is we really want to take deep breaths, long inhales, long exhales, and breathe through it and to observe the situation. Like look back and say, okay, what's happening here? Is there a time, does this person remind me? Does this incident remind me of something that happened in my past? Is it a person? It can be places, situations, thoughts, emotions, physical sensations. There can also be internal and external triggers. So an external external trigger could be something like you see someone that reminds you of something someone that had abused you or maybe Mm -hmm. you're watching a movie or tv show that reminds you of an experience such as like a car accident if you're in a car accident you see a movie with a car accident you could become triggered by that right yeah it can be certain smells if something happened to you in a movie theater and popcorn was the smell that happened when you smell popcorn your body is going to go into that state of what happened to you because it's it's a coping mechanism you're essentially trying to keep yourself safe but the root the difference is learning to tell your body that you are safe now that that experience is separate exactly so i i found in every person it's crazy because like every person reacts differently to their triggers yes and like that for me i know when i had my very and it's crazy because you know we think that we're healed sometimes and we're like oh you know i got away from that pretty good like i feel like i'm okay and maybe that's not everybody but it was definitely me and i should have known better to know eight sorry 10 years of trauma was not going to just go away but I thought that I was okay. And I was like, you know, it's been a year. It's been two years. It has now been 12 years. And here I was thinking, I got away scot-free. I am gravy. I don't have like some serious messed up stuff. And I don't have a bunch of baggage. I'm just trying to heal. And the first time I was triggered was last summer. Um, someone from my past, their relative came here. And they reached out to me. And like, I don't speak to these people anymore. I have a lot of trauma with the stuff from my past. And I just do not speak to that family. And it took me right back to that childhood moment because she was pressuring me like she did when I was younger. And it's like, I'm not that little naive 16 year old who's going to bend and break and let you walk over me, but that's what they were used to from me. So when they started treating me that way, even though inside of me, I wanted to be like, you or you're going to da 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 and just tell her off. It was like, all of a sudden I felt like I was 16 standing back in that zone all over again of them bullying me and never listening to me and just making me feel so small and stupid. And I drove home and then I had to park on the side of the road and call my therapist because I was vibrating. I was crying. I was struggling to breathe. I was like rocking back and forth in my car and just hysterics. 
and I'm like, what is wrong with me? What is happening? I, like my hands were shaking and I'm calling her and I'm just like, what's happening? Am I crazy? What's happening to me? She's like, okay, I need you to breathe. And we did box breathing together. And once we got through the breathing, then it was like realizing that I was triggered because I had never had a panic attack, an anxiety attack ever in my life. So I was so confused. I'm like, what is happening to me? And she's like, something triggered you and you're having a panic attack. And she's like, so let's talk about it. And then realizing that's what it was. Yes. And it's just being able to identify those triggers so that I could work on those things. But I was so blown away because I had, you know, here I was 12 years later thinking, oh, I'm, you know, things are great. And then it was like, oh, no, maybe they're not. <laughs> totally. And so what you experienced is like the internal trigger, right? So mm -hmm. that could be things like having the racing heartbeat, physical pain or muscle tension. You could yeah. have the feelings of anger, fear, anxiety, loneliness, abandonment is a huge one for me as well frustration, vulnerable, or a loss of self-control, the racing heartbeat, all those things are a part of, you can start to tune in, okay, what is happening? And the way we can dig in to start to know about what our triggers are is through things like, one, working with a therapist if you can. I've had great success with a psychologist. There's a difference between psychiatrist, psychologist, and that's something I didn't know going into my healing journey. And looking back, a psychologist was just amazing. I had such great, great results with, during that. And that's where I really felt like, it was really helping me piece these dots in my brain together because my brain just felt like I knew something was wrong. Like, why am I acting this way? And why are, am I feeling this way? And I want to fix it. So that was helping me fix and work through these different the, the places. I was getting irritable with people I didn't want to be irritable with. And it was because I was being triggered. And it was my own stuff that I had to kind of like go through and unpack and deal with. So I didn't show up and feel that way around people who care and love about me. Yeah. I find that so hard because in that moment when you're going into complete panic to be able to stop. And I found it took my, it took me a long time to be able to do that because it was like, as soon as it would start, it was like, I would just go into the panic and I would give into it and just let myself panic. And it took me so long to really get into that rhythm of practicing my breathing and pressing pause and saying, okay, where is this coming from? What are these feelings? And being able to just stop for a moment. Totally. And another way too, like besides working with a therapist through your triggers is through things like I know we both love to do is self-reflection and journaling. Yes. So those are ways you can start to maybe like making a list of like the top 10 things that bother you. And yeah, and I find, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> uh, even like, like you were saying with journaling and I love doing that because I found, especially in the beginning when you're first figuring out, okay, I have triggers and trying to figure out what they are. That was the same thing my therapist told me. She was like, every time you have a panic attack, I want you to write down what it is, what happened, how you're feeling, yes. and start to look for the pattern because it's going to help you be able to point out those triggers because it's hard to just reflect on yourself by yourself and realize what those triggers are. I find it really helped me being able to write it down and look back at it and say, oh, okay, like every time this happens, this is what happens. Yes. And each trigger, it's like that's a clue for you to piece together the bigger picture of what that deeper rooted issue is. Mm -hmm, yeah. <clears throat> so other questions, like when you're experiencing triggers, journaling it, writing it out, like you said, breathing, um, thinking, does the person I'm triggered by remind me of anyone, a past partner, a parent, a sibling, a relative? And then another question um, to help you kind of dig in is what do I do when I'm upset and why do I do it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So once you know what your triggers are, it's just 
it's life-changing to be able to catch yourself and say, okay, I'm feeling this way in this situation because of a past experience that has shaped and came with me now into adulthood, but I don't need that anymore because I'm safe now. That's what it did for us. It did protect us. And that's a little bit like when we think about the brain and trauma, when we experience a traumatic event. Okay, guys, sorry about that. We lost Lindsay for a quick little moment, but we're back. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I don't know where that cut off at, but essentially what I was saying is some ideas to get your brain out of that mode when the amygdala is going off and telling your body that you're in danger when you're actually not in danger. You can think of ways, um, like different categories, so saying types of cars and just reciting different cars, doing crosswords, different things that are going to make you think. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes, I love that. I did something similar with that. Um, we did the five senses. Okay, yeah, that's so, great. Yeah, and I thought I thought that was really cool because I also, with my children, they have anxiety as well. My son does. And I find that that really helped him. So it was like five things you can taste, four things you can hear, three things you can see, so on and so on. And we do that too. Every time he goes into the anxiety, that's the first thing. We're like, five things. And then he has to think, and then he's calming down, and then we do a little bit of breathing. And I find it really helps. Absolutely. And I think that's that's a big thing too is like once we learn our triggers of learning how to deal with them when it's happening because it's it could be in different settings, you know what I mean? Like for me, sometimes I get anxiety with going to the grocery store and I never had anxiety with the grocery store before and I wasn't sure why this was happening. But every time I was going to the store, I was getting really overwhelmed and then I would just start crying and hyperventilating and I had to figure out ways to help myself and not feel overwhelmed, especially during COVID and, you know, the stores get really busy and all of that was in my head and there were people just all around me. A guy reached over me to grab milk and I literally just freaked out and started flipping out, crying. It was bad. (laughs) And it was just learning that, how did my trigger start? So I love that I can go back and reflect on that journal again and seeing how do my trigger start so that I know how to recognize it before it gets too late where I'm struggling to stop. Definitely. And so I it was love... like the second I start feeling that heart just pounding and my hands start sweating. Like for me, those are my first two triggers. My heart's pounding, my hands are sweating like crazy. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to panic attack. And I instantly have to, you know, I'll usually go outside, get a little bit of air, ground myself, put my feet in the ground and I just start practicing my breathing. Yes. And I think, too, I love the five senses one, too, because that's actually helping you come to the present moment as well, which is what you really want to do. Because at times when we're experiencing a trigger, another common tactic that we use to keep ourselves safe is dissociation. Yes. So for someone who's dissociating, which essentially is just if you think of like when you're daydreaming, if you're driving and you're daydreaming about something and then you don't know where you went, you're like, oh, wow, I don't know how I got here. That's essentially dissociating. And we do it out of habit. But when it gets... Um, difficult for us in our lives is when we're using that as a coping mechanism all the time. So it's healthy to have a little bit of dissociation. We're going to do it from time to time. But when you're doing that so much and it's getting in the way of doing things that you want to get done or important Mm -hmm. conversations with work or other things that you're starting to zone out that you don't want to be zoning out, but that's your coping mechanism when you're triggered. That's something that you want to work through as well. Yeah, absolutely. My son really struggled with that for a little while. I mean, he still does, but not as much. But um, that's the first thing he does when he's feeling uncomfortable. It's like he's just not in the room. And it's trying to bring him back because even when we talk to him and we're saying his name and there's no response and we literally have to like clap our hands or make a loud noise, it kind of startles him out of it. 
And then it's like instantly going into the five senses to kind of bring him back. And then once he calms down, it's like, okay, where did you just go? What just happened? What made you feel this way? Yes. But I think it's so important that we need to discuss this more with our children too, because I know for me, like I never knew what a trigger was. I didn't know a whole lot about anxiety, what it was. I don't know anything. I, I shouldn't say I don't. I didn't know really much about mental health at all. So I wasn't even, I didn't know what was happening to me. And even with my son, like he has his anxiety and it's like, I didn't know how to help either one of us because I was just like, I don't even know what's happening. Definitely. And, you know, I wish that I would have had someone to help me with those things, even being younger. And I just feel like it's something that's so vital that we don't talk about enough. So the term mental health is actually relatively new. Like it's only been over the past 20 years that this anxiety, depression, these terms have actually, I feel like been more studied and looked into. Oh yeah. And I feel like we come from, it's so cool to see like this generation of just everybody wanting to take hold of their past life and be this best version of themselves and work through all their shit because this wasn't our, the past generation before us didn't have the awareness. They were embarking in the trauma because of the brokenness that the generational trauma that came before them. So yeah. it's like, we're the first generation. I feel like that's like, okay, wait a second. We're actually not going to com- like do these patterns again to our children and we're going to fix it so we can change the course of the future generation. Yes. Oh my God. I love that you said that because I feel like I talk about that so much. I'm just breaking those generational curses, that generational trauma. And it's hard, you know, because some of the time, and this is something I was recently reading, it was talking about the patterns in our life and even the person that we are of looking at ourselves and saying, is this who I am or is this something that was passed down from my family? Definitely. So like I know in my family, a lot of the women in my family are very snippy. So they're the first ones to kind of, you know, they go from zero to 105 seconds. And for me, I was like, you know, I, that's not who I want to be. I don't want to be someone who's snippy. I don't want to be someone who's a know-it-all or, you know what I mean? Or a hothead. I really want to lead in love. So that was a really big thing for me is when I noticed myself kind of feeling that way of stopping and being like, this is not mine. This is not mine to carry. This is generational trauma that I grew up around and it's not going to be a part of my life and being able to kind of redirect myself to say, you know what? I'm sorry. That's not how I should have reacted. Definitely. And it's, it's hard. And if you think like, I know looking back at my upbringing and the people that were around me, it's like, they, they didn't know what trauma was. It wasn't really talked about. So the way they dealt with it were things that I seen was through drinking excessively um, mm-hmm. punching holes in the wall, not um, talking about it at all. <laughs> yeah. Like walking on eggshells. Like there was a lot of ways that, or there's just so much now that I'm like, I am just, I didn't have those coping skills cause my parents didn't have them either. So they couldn't teach yeah. me them. And I think that's the same for a lot of people. So what happens, there's something called the window of tolerance. And this reference is basically we have this tolerance. It's a window. If you picture a window, it's how much stuff when life throws us throws at us is how regulated we can stay. So if we weren't taught certain coping skills or any, and mm-hmm. we're put into these triggers and we don't know how to deal with this stuff. We don't know what's happening. So we can either go out of that window up into hyper arousal, which are things like ADHD symptoms. Um, you might feel anxious, angry, out of control always go, go, go. Or you can go down into hypo arousal, 
which is the opposite of feeling depressed, not being able to get out of bed, dissociating, those types of things. So when you look at our upbringing and what skills were we taught and the traumatic incidences that we have endured, we can go out of that window very easily. And I think a lot of us do. It's like, cause we don't, we weren't taught how to regulate. Yeah. When life throws these things at us, we're like, woo, 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 up and down. ADHD is huge right now. Like everyone is talking about ADHD and my look at it is it's a trauma response, something that we have, it's learned as a coping mechanism. It's how we're dealing with stress and incidents that are happening to us, right? Mm-hmm. It's a protective factor. And a lot of the times someone who has been diagnosed with ADHD has experienced trauma in their lifetime. There is yeah. this correlation. Yeah. So how I see it, I know mine, when I look at my ADHD symptoms that I categorize under, it's a lot of the time based off of things I've experienced in my childhood that have caused me now to be this way. Why I feel I need to be overattentive or why I need to be overproductive. All these things root back to my upbringing. Yeah. When I look at it. So anyways, that's the window of tolerance. And when I look at the coping skills, like my upbringing, I remember one parent punching holes in the wall when they were angry. And then guess what? I have a sibling who I also witnessed punching holes in the wall when they're angry because that's how they learn to deal with their anger, right? It's not a healthy coping yeah. mechanism. It's not healthy. It's not a healthy coping mechanism, but that's what they learned. So therefore that's all that my sibling knows what to do. Yeah. So it's crazy when you see the connection and I'm like, I see so many connections of like me and my siblings, just different things that we do that I'm like, wow, I, you like, this is just like deja vu of seeing my parent act this way. It's like, because we don't know that's engraved and shaped on how we are going to respond as adults. Absolutely. And I feel like it's so important to make sure that we have a support system because I know it's, it's so hard because our parents and a lot of our family, like you said, we were talking about mental health back then and they don't know what it is. And now that this generation is talking about it for some people, their family is very supportive but sometimes it is really, really hard to be able to have these open conversations with your family because for them, it feels like they did something wrong by not knowing. So instead of wanting to talk about it with you, it's just end the conversation. You're being ridiculous. And I think we need to talk about that because I feel like I've, I've talked to so many people and their biggest thing is before I didn't know what was wrong with me. Now I'm healing and finding out these triggers and these things, but my family instead of listening to me and I'm saying, you know, this is this, or this hurt me from my childhood, they go into an instant guilt trip where, or I shouldn't say guilt trip, but they, their own self guilt when they shouldn't feel guilty. They didn't know, but they hold that guilt. And then it comes out where they lash out and they're not supportive. And it's, it feels horrible. Yes. And also the fact that I've like seen many people also, when you say you're experiencing anxiety, that they kind of blow it off as if you're being overdramatic or, yeah. Yeah. So that can be difficult too, right? When you're trying to confine in family and you're really opening up because it's, it's hard to open up how you feel. It takes a lot of courage. So when you are doing that and you're being invalidated or dismissed, it can be really difficult. And that's why I recommend if you don't have a good support system, even if you do, working with a therapist, if you can, is just amazing to have that professional that is not going to judge or criticize you. It's not going to invalidate you and going to help you work through that. Cause sometimes our family 
is not supportive and it's not that they I feel like mean to it's that they don't know how to be supportive and they have all their own triggers that you saying that could be triggering them into a response that they just don't know how to respond or work through that because they're not at the same spot as you might be in your healing journey yeah and I find um it's hard because like for me, um, when I did get a therapist, I was walking on eggshells for the first little while because I was nervous to tell my family. Um, because I find so many times we look at a therapist like a bad thing that we're getting help. Oh, and especially yes. in the black, yeah, and especially in the black community, it is looked at like, oh, you know, I get, I'm paying someone to tell me about my whatever. And it's just the ignorance, right? Totally. So that's actually and- a good point because therapy too that's something like when I first started like I'm so confident and just nonchalant now to talk about that I went to therapy I have no cares in the world and I'm proud and happy that I've done it because it changed my life but back before I actually before I started and reached out for therapy I didn't feel that way I felt embarrassed ashamed I called like I don't know how many times I said I was going to call and didn't call or put it on the back burner I called I cried after I called because I just felt so embarrassed I thought this was a big one for me I thought there's other people out there who have had more traumatic experiences happen to them that I'm probably wasting the therapist's time or they're going to look at me like, oh, wow, this is what you're talking about. So-and-so, you know, like that's the feeling I got is that there's other people who've had it worse than me and yeah. I'm taking up their time and I feel like an idiot. I was embarrassed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I didn't, I didn't talk about going to therapy when I originally went. It was years and years after when I seen the effects and how much it made me grow and how much better of a place my head is inside now because of it, that I yes. was like, I want to talk about this because I see so many people around me hurting and not living the best life that they can. And, you know, our mental health, we have a huge crisis in mental health right now. And when it comes down to it, if me being open and vulnerable is going to help somebody else know exactly. that they're not alone, then that's that's all I want to do is know that you're not alone and it can get better and you deserve for it to get better. Yes, and there's we need to just be more understanding that therapy is not a bad word. No. Because I feel like we have Let's so much normalize the word we therapy. therapy. <laughs> yes. Hashtag and- normalize therapy. Yes. <laughs> no, but really, and the more we can be open about it as women too and talk about it, it's just like we can grow together and share the things that we're working on and learning together as a community and support each other, right? Absolutely. And I feel like that's I'm so glad that you're here with me because I feel like oh, you don't even understand. <laughs> <laughs> having that community of people because so many people think and I just had this conversation with another girlfriend and she was like you know my family this my family that and I'm like you know we have to come to terms with the fact that your support system isn't always going to be your family but having those close friends that are there for you that reach out that check on you to me that is my family because it's not about the blood it's the people that are there that check on you that care about you and genuinely show that they are there Totally. And I'm really big on trying to do the same in my own life of just being that friend that's there to listen, to encourage you and to be able to share my story. But it is really hard because there are those closed minded people. And when I do share my story and I do talk about it, you know, I do get private messages from people that are like, why are you even talking about this? Nobody cares. Why are you sharing this? Like you should keep your business to yourself. And it's like, if you choose to keep yours to yourself and you don't want to talk about it, that's okay. That's fine. But if you want to talk about it so that you can help someone else, 
there is no judgment in that. And I don't understand why people get so upset about it. And it's like, that chapter's closed. Why are you even bringing that up? And it's like, we need to be able to talk about these things. This is how change happens is when someone stands up and starts talking about it. And then there's a whole bunch of people that start standing up after them. Definitely. But if no one stands up, then it's never going to change. Absolutely. I just feel like it's, it, it is very hard sometimes because it's like just being, trying to make yourself be that person of saying it is okay to talk about this and it's also okay to not be okay. Definitely. Because I find so many times we just want to move on from the trauma. So instead of dealing with it, it's like we just bury it where it's just put on a mask. Everything is fine. You're a strong woman. You got this. It doesn't mean you're less of a woman or less strength because you're dealing with your trauma. If anything, that shows how strong you are that you're facing that trauma and trying to get healing rather than ignoring it and stomping it down. And I think when it comes down to it, it's like, if you could be the best version of yourself and be the best version of yourself for your family. Yes. And if like, you're not feeling the best version of yourself and you do feel that you're feeling on edge or irritable or you're swearing all the time and you know, the different trigger signs, it's like, to me, it's just such a strength to be like, you know what? I want to be better for myself and for my loved ones because I don't want to feel this way anymore. Right. Yeah. That's when it and learning to Yes. And I mean, learning too, that there's going to be days where we mess up. We're human beings, but there has to be, we have to know that we need to apologize because I find that's something that we don't do, especially to our children. Because I know I have days, and especially for us, like, we're in a whole neurospicy household. There's five of us all with ADHD. <laughs> so, you know, there's going to be days because all of our ADHD is different, and sometimes we rub each other the wrong way. And I do. So there's some days where I snap, and then I have to, you know, roll the back, and I'm like, okay, you might have acted a little overdramatic about it. I go in my room, I do my breathing, I journal, and I come out and I sit my family down, and we talk about it. In apologizing and knowing that how I acted was maybe a little over the top and being able to discuss those things because I find so many times we don't apologize, especially to our children. It's just, you know, sweep it under the rug. Definitely. And we need to create a space where we can, I, I, that's something that's really important. Our home is just creating that space where we can sit and talk because I feel like in the past generations, kids were heard and not, or what was it seen and not heard? We didn't sit and have those family conversations about stuff like this. And I just feel for me, it's so important to sit with my children and we have family night and we talk about our feelings. We meditate together. Yes. Like learning about emotions is huge. There are so many emotions that are more than just like the five basic ones. Like if you're feeling sad, are you feeling abandoned? Are you feeling lonely? Are you feeling um, like you're disconnected? Like, what is that bigger emotion? So it's like, that's something, again, I had no idea until I went to therapy is, okay, I'm feeling sad. Well, no, what actually am I feeling? I'm feeling abandoned or I'm feeling forgotten about, left out. Yes. Like there's so, there's this emotion wheel you can get online. If you look up, um, I'll find it and then we can like reference it in the links, but it shows like the, the basic emotions and then spirals and spirals. And there's actually so many emotions. There is, you know what, it's, it, we say that because I learned this in therapy as well. Um, when I took my son in, because he has a really hard time with his emotions, especially where he's autistic as well. And my therapist actually had this big pillow on her couch 
and it had the emotion wheel on it. And she said, I want you to look at it and I want you to point to the ones that you feel and just helping him being able to recognize those emotions outside of I'm mad, I'm sad. Yes. So imagine if that's something we're teaching again, that's something we didn't, we didn't, weren't taught. Like if, if we seen a parent sad, it's like, okay, that's all it was, was sad. There was no like, okay, well, why do we feel that? That exploring and kind of digging and talking about it. So again, that's like, we can change the whole, like think of the next generation, how emotionally aware they can be and how regulated they can make themselves by just having these tools and this knowledge to apply it to their adult life. Yes. Like it's actually life-changing. Naming the emotion, knowing your triggers, working through your triggers. Mm-hmm. And yes. I, I think too, it's like when we, so I used to not spend a lot of time in the present. Like there was something that I heard before. It's like, if you are thinking about the future, you're creating anxiety. And if you're thinking about the past, you're creating a state of depression. Yeah. So the more you can try to be in the present is obviously the better to enjoy the now. And a lot of the time I was not in the present. I was thinking about the past, the future, all in between, like never enjoying the moment. And then through therapy, it was like, wow, okay, now I can actually, I'm outside enjoying the beauty of the clouds, the beauty of the, the warmth of the sun, the birds singing. Like I'm actually alive and feeling present in life where before I, I just felt like I was just autopilot. Just don't even know a messy place in my head. And now it's like, wow, there are times like, it's so easy for me to sit with silence. It's so easy for me to like clear my head, (laughs) but that took practice. And I think that's the important thing too, is knowing that it takes practice Yeah, and um, it takes working through with people. We are just a type of species that needs to be connected with other people. So whether you have that through a support group, a friend group, a family group, a community, a church, that is huge as part of the healing journey as well. Oh yeah. Like having that support system and knowing you're not alone. Yes. Um, I know I really struggled with that because, and you and I talked about this the other day. <laughs> it's so hard because I, str- I I always felt alone because I was always that friend that checked on everybody else. But if I stopped checking in, I wouldn't hear from my other friends. And it made me feel abandoned and alone and like my friends didn't care about me and learning to truly find those group of people who get you, who love you. And that it's not about numbers, it's quality because so many times, you know, we wanted, Oh, I have so many friends and I really, I really would get depressed about it because you know, when I would have birthday parties, I'm always the one that would go to the parties, but then my friends don't come to mind, you know? And I started to get down about it and just beating myself up. And once I was able to start being more mindful and I just started thinking about it and it was like, you know, I don't need to have a hundred friends. I would rather have four or five genuine, beautiful people who are my support system, who I know don't judge me, who I can truly be my authentic self around and just enjoy being me. Definitely. And like, that was really hard too, because again, like with being ADHD, I've lived my whole life wearing a different mask, depending on what room I'm in. Yes. Being some, everybody except myself, because I never accepted and fully loved myself. I always felt like I wasn't good enough as I was, because at the time I wasn't diagnosed. I didn't, I just thought I was weird. I'm the weird kid. Nobody likes me. And I have buck teeth on top of it and braces. And I was like, no one wants to hang with me. So I need to try to be 
what they want me to be or what I thought they wanted me to be. So it was constantly in every room I was in blending in to be what I thought I needed to be to fit in. And it was just in the last few years that I started to really say, I'm okay with me. I love me. I love who I am. And I don't need to wear these masks to be in every room. I am perfectly okay with being exactly who I am. And if you don't like me, that's fine because I'm not for everybody. Totally. And I feel like we, we, we need to spend that time self-reflecting more and practicing that self-love and just having that raw, just, I don't give a F. Because yes. so many times, you know, we let those people get into our heads and we constantly second guess ourselves. And I don't know for others, like, it was real bad for me <laughs> because it was like, all someone had to do was look at me the wrong way. And I was and see like, oh my God, oh my God, they don't like me. I'm weird. <laughs> And I just never embraced who I was and the things that we, we aren't able to embrace of being able to work on them to change them instead of masking it and pretending that's not a part of us. It was like, this is a part of me and it's a part of me that I honestly don't like. So it's something I have to work on changing and being able to submit that to myself and saying, you know, I don't like this part of myself. This is something I do that I really think is shitty. I think too. So as part of the self-reflection, another thing, like I know that you do this and I do this as well. So Kay and I follow the cycles of the moon and that gives us a great time to reflect um, more. So during the full moon, um, reflecting on what no longer serves us. And that can be a good time mm-hmm. to say, okay, what bothered me this month? So if you're new to wanting to learn what your triggers are, taking that time when the, when the moon is full, sitting down and journaling, what really upset me this month? What bothers yes. me? What am mm-hmm. I ready to let go of? And light, writing that out. And sometimes I'll say I'm ready to let go of something and it'll be in my journal six months later that I indeed was not ready to let go at that time. And that there yeah. are other things that have come up that have shown me I need to spend some more time working through this and trying to separate that past experience from my present life. But that's just a good time if you want to do, like having that monthly check-in has been amazing for the last three years since COVID happened when I started following the moon cycles. The new moon is a time to see where I want to go and the full moon is what do I need to let go of, what's on my mind because a lot of the time we're on autopilot and we as women especially aren't taking the time to sit down and really think and reflect on the previous month and how we can maybe work on things for the next month and where we want to focus our energy and what we need to let all this pent up energy, what we need to let go of at that time. So, yes. And I really love it because like when I am doing mine, like after I'm done journaling, I have a little scrapbook that I have all these ripped up pieces of paper and I always, I always am sitting and I have my candles lit. So I have my burn candle and I'll write down the things that I am ready to release. I'm a very big person on writing things down. Everything gets written down. I'm so not digital. And I will sit and I will write down these things that I'm ready to release. And I burn them. And as it's burning, I'm just picturing that and feeling completely just leaving my body and being able to let that go. Absolutely. And another one that I find that really helps is taking a bath. When I'm, yes. under the moon, when I'm doing my full moon ritual... I have a, a, a bath ritual that I do as well. So I have all my, my scents in the bathroom, my candles. 
I have flowers in the tub. Epsom salts, oils. Yes, my Epsom salts, like everything is in there. And I put on my favorite sound that makes me feel safe and just comfortable, which is the forest and rain. So I usually go for like jungle sounds and waterfalls. And I sit in the tub with, you know, I turn my phone off or I put it face down on vibrate. And that is just my time for self-love, reflection, and just letting it go. And when I pull the drain in the tub, as that water's sucking down all that water, all those negative emotions, all those things are cleansing and they are going down that drain with it. Yes. Water is so cleansing in so many different cultures. Yes. Water. And I feel like because we're both Aquarius, I know that you understand that. <laughs> oh, I listen, I live for a bathtub like you and all this stuff you're saying you put into your baths is exactly, I'm like such a huge bath person of like spicing up my bath and adding different oils in my Epsom salts and the different yes. flowers and herbs. <laughs> well, speaking of that, because we are getting ready to wrap up, I do want to chat quickly because I know you and I have been talking about creating some moon circles and I have brought this up one or two times on our page. So it is something I'm very excited in the near future to be able to host these moon circles together and to be able to bring all these women out to experience it. And uh, I just would love to chat about it for a quick moment before we end. Yes. But just being able to, you know, offer that space because sometimes people feel intimidated where they don't know what to expect. Definitely. And I would love if you and I could share that for a brief moment and just talk about the women's circles and just bringing women together and having that space. So to me, um, bringing women together is just magical and always, um, you're just bringing, especially like-minded women. It's like, you're going to find your tribe. Your vibe is going to attract your people. So it's okay if you go into situations and these aren't, that's not your, that's not your place. You can leave, but these women's circles are open to anyone and everyone that is looking for a place that they can just come and show up as their authentic self and share essentially what's going on, what you need to release, where you want to focus your energy. There are always guided journal prompts, meditation, uh -huh. grounding. We really want to create like a beautiful space too, like beauty in it that you just come and can feel just love and feel that love from everyone. Energy is so contagious. So yes, beautiful. I couldn't have said it. So before we go, let's talk about next week's episode. We are super excited. I know for me, this is something I personally struggled with the power of saying no. It is an art. <laughs> <laughs> because so many times I find we just, we want that people pleaser in us. It's just, we, don't know how to say no and there's so much guilt in us saying no so i'm excited for us to chat next week and devin will be back and she has a lot to say and we are excited to say <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to find us on social media platforms we are on facebook as well as we are on instagram under tribe annapolis valley i hope you guys have the most amazing day thank you Lindsay, for joining me and i'm so excited that you're now officially a part of tribe Yay! Thanks so much for having me. See you next week. See you next week, guys. Bye.